You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. I want you to follow along with me. I want to read the whole context again. We're only going to look at verses 2 through 4 today, but for the context, here we go. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. I want to pray. Father, uh, Father, thank you for your word. Um, Lord, it's such a privilege for us to be together this morning to praise you and to worship you through song and to uh, praise you and worship you through the study of your word. Now, Father, um, you know what every one of us in this room needs this morning specifically. So, Spirit of the living God, we just ask that You would be free to move in our midst. That You would be free to move upon our hearts. That You would come and give strength to those of us who are weak. That You would come and give healing to those of us that are wounded and sick. And that You would come and um, soften those of us whose hearts are hardened against You. That You would come and call us out of our rebellion, into repentance, into trust in what you have done for us in the cross, Christ. 
pray, Father, that you would come and unleash the, just the fury of your love for us at the cross. Pray, God, that you would unleash the power of the empty tomb in our midst through the preaching of your word. Ask, Father, that you would come and do what I, all of us in this room, are completely unable to do, and that is to cause transformation and change to happen in our lives. Pray that you would protect our tongue. Speak through your word, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 8 um, is such a beautiful passage of Scripture. The, the entire chapter is beautiful. Often um, heard from others and often said myself that Romans 8 is like um, medicine on infected wounds. God's Word, as God's Word says, is like a two-edged sword. Two-edged sword that cuts deep into the deepest parts of our souls. And what it does in the midst of that is it injects um, the gospel into us like no other source can do. The Word of God is like a mirror, right? That you look into. As you look into that mirror of God's Word, you see your imperfections on the one hand. And on the other hand, you see the reflection of God's perfection in the cross of Christ. And in my opinion, Romans 8 is one of the most precious spaces in God's Word where the Gospel is injected into us. Because in this passage, what we learn is that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to think about that word condemnation. Think about that message that there is no condemnation. There's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no accusation that can stick to you if you are in Christ Jesus. No no accusation can stand against you if you are in Christ Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in His work at the cross on your behalf, no accusation can stand against you. There are so many ways that our enemy... Satan speaks words of condemnation over us so many ways. You think about Satan. He's the enemy of our souls. He's the accuser of the brethren or the accuser of the sheep. He is a lion who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. He is a liar, the father of all lies. There is no truth in him whatsoever. He is our adversary, and he's not playing for participation trophies, he's playing for keeps. That's our enemy. He relates to you through your sin. When he comes and he speaks to you, he relates to you through your sin, your, your weakness, your pain, your fear, your guilt, your shame. He identifies you by those things doesn't call you by your real name when He speaks to you. He calls out to you through your shortcomings. When He calls out to you, He says things to you like you're worthless. You're hopeless. You're helpless. You're powerless. You're dirty. You're, you're forgotten. You're not wanted. These are the kinds of things that Satan speaks to you. One of the hardest aspects of walking out the Christian life is learning to identify the difference between the words of our enemy and the words of our Father. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Satan is a vicious enemy. 
And his attacks are absolutely relentless. But the truth of this passage and the good news of this passage that we're reading and studying is that if you know Jesus, then you know a Savior who is more relentless than your enemy. Jesus never gives up on you. Never leaves your side. Your name has been on your picture in His shirt pocket since before the foundations of the earth were laid. He speaks words of life and freedom and peace and love over you. He restores your soul. He refreshes your spirit. He heals your wounds. He strengthens your heart. He gives you eternal hope. He washes your sins away completely. And He says that you are worth every penny of His life on a cross. See, see, your Savior, if you know Him, if you're trusting in Him, is more relentless than your enemy. You know Jesus. Then in Christ, you have a Savior who is relentless in His pursuit of you. He's better at saving you, like I said last week, than you are at sinning. The only person who has a right to call out to you through your sin and your weakness is actually God. He's the only person that has the right to call out to you through your sin and your weakness. But in Christ, your Father doesn't call out to you through your sin and your weaknesses and your failures. He calls out to you by name. You are a son or daughter of the King, and He calls you His. You're not an orphan. You're not, you're not fatherless. You are wanted and loved. You belong to Jesus. You're no longer condemned. You're free to stand before the very throne of God with confidence. Not in yourself, but in Christ Jesus who died in your place and overcame Satan's sin and the grave. What this means is that your Savior is more relentless than your enemy. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you walked in this room with. But my prayer has been all week and still is in these moments that you would hear from the Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father from this passage because it's like healing medicine on infected wounds. You might have come in today wounded, weary, sick. Your, fa- your family maybe is uh, facing uh, the biggest battle of your life. Maybe the the sin that you've been fighting to put to death is overwhelming you. You walked in this morning feeling like depression has its claws dug deep down inside your heart. Maybe the fear that you walked in with is casting this big, bad, ugly shadow over everything you think, say, or do. You spend your days worrying about what you could have or should have said or done. You feel like you are the problem. So why even try anymore? Sin, guilt, shame, fear. They have a grip on your soul and it feels like it won't let go. Part of my job is to put some sort of language to the places that each of us walks in with this morning and then to help inject the gospel into that. So if any of what I've just said describes you, then my prayer has been that you would hear Romans chapter 8 again this morning as a massive dose of gospel-infused medicine for your soul, right? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've trusted in Jesus, then the 
old you is not the new you. You're no longer a slave. You're a son or daughter of your Father in heaven. You can now look forward to the hope of heaven where there will be no more sin, no more tears, no more fear, no more brokenness, no more death. You can rest right now in the safety of this promise of the gospel that you belong to Jesus and that Satan has absolutely no claim over you. You are not defined by what's happening circumstantially in your life. Who you are is not what's going on around you or what you did last night or the week before or what you'll even do a week from now. You are defined by who Jesus says you are. Your Savior is more relentless than your enemy. The reality of this message is this. The cross is bloody, but the tomb is empty. Those realities shape souls. That's the beauty of Romans 8. Think about Romans 8, 2-4 again. Paul says... The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what these verses teach us is that there is a law that sets you free, but there's also a law that keeps you in bondage. Which law are you going to walk by? Which law are you going to trust in? God in the flesh has done what no other human could do. He has broken the chains of your sin. He has released you from the prison cell of your flesh. And He's given you His Spirit so that you can now walk in true freedom. Question Do you know what that's like? Do you know what it's like to walk in freedom? Have you you tasted this this kind of an experience? It's an exhilarating mountaintop experience. You once were blind, but now you could see. You once were in shackles, but now you're free. That's an exhilarating experience if you've experienced it. You know what it's like to look at Satan. You know what it's like to look at your sin. You know what it's like to look at your eventual death and be completely free from that. Do you know what it's like to walk in freedom from shame, guilt, and fear? Can can you look into the face of Satan, into the face of your sin, into the face of your eventual death? Can Can you look into the face of your enemies and say, hey, my Savior is more relentless at loving me than you are at condemning me? Can you do that? There is a law that sets you free. You know what it's like to be free. Have you tasted that freedom? Have you experienced that freedom there is a law that sets you free there is a law that keeps you in chains paul says it this way he says the law of the spirit of life has set you free in christ jesus from the law of sin and death in other words there is one law that breaks the power of the law that condemns you there is one law that breaks the power of the law that condemns you there is one law that sets you free free from what you might ask free from what free from the law of sin and death 
The law of the sin and death simply um, informs us, teaches us that we are sinners who deserve to pay the price tag for our sin, and that price tag for our sin is eternal death. You see, the Bible teaches us that everyone falls short of the glory of God, and the paycheck for that thing called sin is death. The idea behind sin is that we've missed the mark of perfection. It's as simple as that. Draw a bullseye on your mind. Try to shoot the arrow there. When you miss it, what you would call out would be the word sin. It means to miss the mark of perfection. No one's perfect. We all get this, right? The question is, is what's going to save you from the penalty for not being perfect? Because our sin isn't just against one another. It's against a perfect and holy God. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. And the paycheck for that sin is death. See, the law of sin and death, when you think about sin, you think about the paycheck for it, trying to follow the law and do everything right, not going to set you free. All it will do is condemn you. Over and over and over again, all the law will do is condemn you. It's never meant to show you how you deserve freedom. It's meant to show you how you deserve to be locked up, how you deserve to pay the penalty. See, it's hopeless for us to keep a checklist of laws done right. Why? Because to, to, to fail at one point is to actually fail at the entire law. To fail at one point of the law makes you guilty of failing the entire law, which then leaves you facing the death penalty. Because that's the paycheck for your sin. It's the paycheck for my sin. Eternal death. Separation from God. The playing field is level. No one's better than the other. No one's worse than the other. Playing field is level. You cannot compare your sin with other people and get off the hook. Okay? The hardest place to do that in when it comes to comparisons is when you're hurt by someone. I think that's, that's the hardest place I've experienced it. When I've been hurt by someone, I get in, indignant. How could they do that to me? But what I'm doing in that moment is asking a very human question that all of us must ask. Yet at the same time, I must remember that I am just as great a sinner as the next person. You can't compare your sin with other people and get off the hook. Can't, can't say that you're better today than you were yesterday, therefore you deserve something better. Someone still has to pay the price. Someone still has to serve the court sentence for our sin. Every one of us, regardless of our good deeds done or smaller crimes committed or bigger crimes committed, doesn't matter. At the end of the day, we all are responsible for paying the fine. But the thing is, the fine is heavy. The fine is heavy because our sin is heavy. And it's heavy because it's been committed against a perfectly innocent God. Every time my wife and I sin against each other, it's horrendous, yes. But it's not as horrendous as our sin against our Father in heaven. This is why David, I think in Psalm 51 said, maybe it's 52, could be wrong. That's why David said in Psalm, against you and you alone, O Lord, have I sinned. This is after his great sin with Bathsheba, sleeping with the woman on the rooftop and then murdering her husband. His response, and, 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 and in consequence, his son is dying because of it. And his response is to know intrinsically, deep down inside, yeah, I sinned against Bathsheba, sinned against my son, really, sinned against this entire nation of Israel that I'm leading, but really... God, it's against you and you alone because you're perfect. Every one of us is a sin-soaked rebel on death row. That's the reality. But this is where the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus steps into the courtroom of your condemnation and my condemnation, and it sets us free. 
Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus from this passage reminds us that the Spirit of the living God left the tomb empty on the third day. That's what it reminds us of. He, he is the Spirit of life. He gave life to Jesus on the third day, resurrected Him, and brought Him out of the tomb. By the power of the Spirit, Jesus rose from the dead. It is the Spirit of God who comes and breathes life into dead hearts. See, prior to knowing Jesus, your heart is dead. You are in shackles, you are in chains, and you are headed towards an eternity of separation from all that is good, namely God Himself. When the Spirit of the living God comes and gives you a brand new heart, He resurrects you and sets you free to actually love God through your obedience. Prior to that, you're an enemy of God, the Scriptures say. You're not someone who loves God. Again, your Savior, by His very own Spirit, is better at saving you than you are at sinning. The Scriptures teach us in Ephesians that for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. See, the only person who gets the credibility for saving us from the law of sin and death is the resurrected Jesus Himself by the power of His Spirit. Your Savior is more relentless than your enemy. There is one law that breaks the power of the law that condemns you. God has done in the cross of Christ what you cannot do. God in the flesh has done what no human could ever hope to do. God has broken the chains of your sin if you've trusted in Him. You've not trusted in Jesus, then what you're saying is, I choose slavery over freedom. I choose chains. But if you trusted in Christ, He's released you from the prison cell of your flesh. He's actually called you out of the grave, called you back from the dead, and given you life. Question again is, do you know what it's looked like to look like to look at Satan and to look at sin? And to look at your eventual death and be free from it? Be free from the shackles of that? Do you know what it's like to look at your, your enemies and say, hey, you may be really relentless, but my Savior is more relentless than you are? Paul says, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, for sin He condemns sin in the flesh. You see, God in Christ Jesus has done what you and I cannot do. <clears throat> I don't know who your favorite superhero is, <clears throat> but my favorite superhero, if you don't know already, is the Hulk. I love the Hulk. Hulk and I would probably, I don't know, maybe we might get along. Maybe we wouldn't get along. I love the Hulk. Um, the Hulk can do what I cannot do. A lot of things that I cannot do. The Hulk in his superhuman form is nearly invincible too, right? Think about it. This is why I like the Hulk. Like nobody can take this guy out except <coughs> the Hulk does have a weakness. Okay, at least uh, from from what I understand, his weaknesses are his girlfriend and puppies. That's funny. Go check it out. That's his that's his weakness. Um, at the end of the day, despite his superhuman strength, the Hulk is still human at his core. Still human at his core. 
So he's limited, just like you and I are. So there are many things that I cannot do. And I would imagine if you listen to this list, you'll find that you can't do them either. This is what makes you intrinsically human, right? You can't know everything. A lot of things I don't know. I like to act like I know everything. But it's still just an act. Trying to prove that I'm better than I really am. It's really what I'm doing. Trying to look good. Trying to put on a face, right? get to do that almost every Sunday while I'm standing up here. How's that for a confession? A lot of things that I don't know. Um, I can't be everywhere all at once. Anybody else here with me? Can't, you're limited. Can't be everywhere all at once. Can't be in control of anything. <laughs> it's funny. Control is an illusion. Right? Sitting in a hospital room this week with Jen and her mom as her mom battles away in the final days of struggling with cancer. And her mom looks up and just says, Hey, control is an illusion. You can say it all day long to each other, but until you're sitting in a room with someone who's dying of cancer, the reality of that changes things, doesn't it? I, I can't control anything. I have no control over what's going to happen in the next moment. You know what that makes me? Human and limited. It means I cannot do a lot of things. I don't have the power to achieve any little thing that I put my mind to. And neither do you. Um, if, that's a, if that's new for you, we cannot, we cannot achieve every little thing we put our minds to. We're limited. Don't get me wrong. Um, just like the Hulk, who's still my favorite superhero, um, there are many great things that I can do, but there are many things I cannot do, and there are many things that you cannot do either. One of the things that you and I cannot do is we cannot save ourselves from the penalty of our sin. In our flesh, we are weak. Our flesh is actually corrupted by sin. It's, a, it's infected with sin. In our human state, we are limited because of sin. So this doctrine of total depravity is so important here. It teaches us that even at our best, our good deeds are still flawed with sinful motives. Like this is what Paul alludes to when he says that the law, doing what's right and avoiding doing what's wrong, that law is weakened by our flesh. Weakened by our sinful motives. Our motives fall terribly short of perfection. No amount of good things uh, done or bad things avoided will be good enough to save us from the penalty of our smallest sin. That might seem harsh. I want you to think about it this way. Uh, even the smallest, tiniest shred of cyanide in your favorite soft drink, or any other drink for that matter, still deadly. No matter how good you've been in your life, the smallest amount of sin is deadly. And this is what makes the gospel such good news because the gospel teaches us that God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, cyanide, could not do. And He did this by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh. So God in Christ Jesus has done what you and I cannot do. Sin must be paid for. Our imperfections must be paid for. And it can't be paid for by anything less than perfect performance. And all of us in this room has one definite thing in common. We cannot perform anything perfectly. So what's the answer then? The answer is that Jesus comes in the flesh to be our substitute, to be our stand-in. He said, throw me in jail instead of them and let them go free. And the crazy piece about that is <coughs> he's absolutely innocent. So you and I are guilty of things. 
Can you imagine walking into a courtroom being guilty of some fine or another and the judge goes guilty and then another man walks in and he goes, no, nah, I'll pay that price. It's like, no, dude, you're innocent. No, I'll pay that price because I love him. That's the picture that's taking place here. He came in the flesh to be our substitute, to pay the price for our sin, to set us free from the power of our sin, to cleanse us from the stains of our sin, and to heal us from the sickness of our sin. It wasn't just paying the price. It was also healing you and I from that infection. It was also washing us clean from the filthy spots of those bad things. Your Savior is more relentless at saving than your enemy is in condemning you. Even though you once were condemned by your sin, Jesus came and did what you cannot do. He literally condemned the very thing that once condemned you. He hung on a cross by three nails. He was beaten and bruised and bloody and He was innocent. All of His friends left Him alone in His hour of His greatest need. And He did this for you. He had your picture in His pocket. He knew exactly who He was dying for. He wasn't just dying for just some faceless, nameless person out there. He knew you before the foundations of the earth. And then He laid in the tomb for three days. But on the third day, He ran out of that grave with the keys of life in His hand and the victory crown on His head. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, if you trusted in Jesus today, then you are free and you can walk in the freedom of the gospel because the spirit of the living God helps you to run out of your self-made grave and walk in the freedom of the gospel, which brings me to the final thing here. The spirit of the living God helps you to walk in freedom. Being free is useless if you don't walk in freedom. Being free is useless if you don't walk in freedom. If you go back and you study some of American history and some of uh, the black guys that we have on our history, uh, you study what happened when slavery was abolished and you see slaves who are now free running right back to those plantations. Why? Because they didn't know any, didn't know any better. It felt hopeless. How do I walk in this freedom? It's the same picture of what happens to us in our sin over and over and over again. We want to run right back to that like a dog going back to his vomit. But this passage teaches us that there is true freedom that we can actually walk in. God has given you His Spirit for this very reason. When you read the accounts of Jesus and the Gospel with His disciples, you see them stumbling and falling over and over and over again. All the way up through the crucifixion, even even after them. When you start reading the book of Acts, you see this crazy thing happen when the Spirit of God comes down and fills them with His presence. And from that point forward, they're no longer fearful little men and women like full of some sort of crazy power. And that's what the church explodes out of. Transformed and chained. Do you know what it's like to walk in freedom? The question. Do you know what it's like to walk free from guilt or free from sin or free from your shame or free from your fear? So the Spirit of the living God enables us to walk in the, in the power of the cross and the empty tomb. Paul says that Jesus at the cross actually condemned what condemns us. So, why? So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The Spirit of the living God helps us to walk in freedom. My life, my life was once so full of sin that all you had to do was spend a few moments with me and it would all 
spill out onto you. I imagine the same is true for you, maybe even still today. My life, the way that I lived, the things that I said, the things that I did, thoughts that I had, goals that I chased, the way that I walk, if I'm going to use Paul's words, my walk was soaked with sin. I was violent. I was abusive. I was angry. I was bitter. I was selfish. I was vengeful. I was lust-filled. I was greedy. I was ungrateful. I was calloused. I was intoxicated with myself. I was controlling. I was fearful. I was prideful. The list just goes on and on and on and on. There's a whole junk drawer of other obvious sins in my life that if you observe my life for a few moments, you would see it and you would experience it. I was known for this. My walk was infected with this like a little bit of cyanide. My life was meant to be good, was meant to be a blessing to others, but I wasn't. Then the Spirit of the living God came and rescued me one afternoon in front of a big truck. My bike exploded and my left leg got broke, broken ribs. And God spoke to me on that day. And He saved me and He rescued me. Why did He do that? I'll tell you why He did that. He did that because my Savior is more relentless at saving than I am at sinning. And He's more relentless at saving than my enemy is at condemning me. That's why He did that. He did that to bring attention to Himself, not to me and not to anybody else. Saved me, gave me a new heart, cleansed me from my sin, restored my soul, gave me new heart, gave me new desires. So I'm not perfect yet. Not perfect. I don't want anyone to even think about getting that kind of idea. And we're close. Not perfect yet, but the spirit inside of me has perfected me just a little bit more and a little bit more each and every day. My walk is different now than it was. Because the Spirit of the living God is helping me to walk in freedom. Once again, my Savior is more relentless than my enemy is. So in conclusion, <clears throat> there is a law that sets you free. There is a law that keeps you in bondage. God in the flesh has done what no other human can do. He has come and broken the chains of your sin. He's come and released you from the prison cell of your flesh. He's come and He's given you His Spirit so that you can now walk in freedom. You don't need to run back to the plantation. Satan is a vicious enemy. His attacks are relentless and they're real. But if you know Jesus, then you know a Savior who is more relentless than your enemy. See, Jesus never gives up on you and He never leaves your side. Your name has been on your picture in His shirt pocket since before the foundations of the earth were laid. He speaks words of life and freedom and peace and love over you. He restores your soul. He refreshes your spirit. He heals your wounds. He strengthens your heart. He gives you eternal hope. He washes your sins away. And He says that you are worth every penny of His life on the cross. This is the message of the Gospel. In Christ, you have a Savior who is relentless in His pursuit of you. He's better at saving you than you are at sinning. Be reminded that the only person who has a right to call out to you through your sin and your weakness is God in His perfection. But in Christ, your Father calls you by name. You're a son and a daughter of the King. and He calls you His. 
You're not an orphan. You're not fatherless. You're wanted and loved. You belong to Jesus. You're no longer condemned. You're free to stand before the throne of God with confidence, not in yourself, but in Christ Jesus who died in your place and overcame Satan, sin, and death. Your Savior is more relentless than your enemy. So I don't know where your heart was at this morning when you walked in. But my prayer has been that you would hear this uh, like gospel medicine on infected wounds. Uh, The only thing stronger than the cyanide of sin is the truth of the gospel. And this chapter, this study, I believe, is like a massive dose of gospel-infused medicine for your soul. The old you is not the new you. You're no longer a slave. You're a son or daughter of your Father in heaven. You can now look forward to the hope of heaven where there will be no more sin, no more guilt, no more shame, no more tears, and no more fear. What that means for you and I as Christians is that we can now rest in the safety of the promise of the gospel. You belong to Jesus. Satan has absolutely no claim over you. You can look at Satan. You can look at your sin. You can look at your eventual death. You can look them in the face and you can say, hey, my Savior is more relentless at saving me than you are at condemning me because the cross is bloody and the tomb is empty. You just say that over and over and over again. You just preach that to yourself. My Savior is more relentless at saving me than you are at condemning me because the cross is bloody and the tomb is empty. There is, therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your word. Pray, Father, that you would come and use it, continue to use it in our hearts moving forward. Ask God that you would make your son famous in our midst as we close. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.